Good Gab, sponsored by Skillskin, a nonprofit organization empowering individuals with disabilities through employment. What's happening, Good Gabbers? It's another day, another awesome podcast. Thanks for your support. We continue to grow this program as we inch closer to a year on the air. I cannot believe this. Just a lot of fun. And today, we just continue to not disappoint. And our guest today is Dee Myers, Site Director for the EMILY program. Dee, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, of course. Yeah. So tell us what's happening at the EMILY program. Like, what is it? So the EMILY program is an eating disorder treatment facility up on the South Hill. Uh, We are the only intensive eating disorder treatment in basically in eastern Washington, northern Idaho and western Montana. So there's quite a few resources on the west side, but when it comes to the east side, and we all know really what a medical hub Spokane is for this area. Uh, So we have a really important role. We've been here actually 10 years. We just had our 10th anniversary. But there's a lot of people who still don't know that we're here. Uh, We get called the Emily Project a lot. We're actually called the Emily Program. And we are intensive levels of treatment um, on an outpatient basis. So we have what's called partial hospitalization, uh, intensive outpatient, and then just straight outpatient services and serve this area. But you're in that uh, inpatient that you're talking about, is is that someone, are they going to come to your facility all day, but they're still based at home? Correct. Okay. So we, the Emily program does have residential services uh, at some of our other locations, but in Spokane, we have the partial hospitalization is, I call it uh, intensive day treatment is really a better term for it. So they're coming in for six or seven hours a day. Uh, intensive outpatient is three hours a day, four days a week. And then outpatient is just your standard, you know, one hour a week appointments. Okay. Uh, a couple months ago, we had uh, Nicole Mischke on the show and she was talking about, you know, your program and just how much of a need there was in Spokane around eating disorders. And oh treatment. my gosh, there was a huge need. So, but and you're the only one in town. Can we, can you fill the need? Uh, we, well, we're trying. Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> Uh, COVID, you know, has been a, a strange time for all of us in any kind of treatment, I think, medical treatment, mental health treatment especially. Uh, but we do have um, numerous levels of service available. And um, I was actually part of a group of professionals who helped bring the EMILY program here to Spokane. All right. Yeah. Well, tell us about that because that sounds like a great story. Okay. So, Uh, I was in private practice for 15 years before I came up to the EMILY program. Uh, I had a wait list for the last eight straight years. I specialized in eating disorder treatment um, the whole time. Uh, There was definitely a need. And when you're an outpatient, you are trying to connect with other other treatment providers. So the standard of care for eating disorder treatment is uh, a multidisciplinary team. So you have a therapist, yep, therapist, a dietitian, and medical, and then depending, um, like up. In intensive levels of care, you also have yoga, nursing, um, and so anyway, in outpatient, you're you're trying to call up and connect with the doctor who's super busy and the dietitian, uh, and and you're 
doing what you can do on this outpatient basis. And when there was no treatment options here in Spokane, I would send clients to residential in other states, say wow. mo mostly California, um, Arizona, sometimes the East Coast. Then they would come back to Spokane where there was no follow-up resources aside from myself. And, and you're other, only and, one person. Right, yeah. and the, well, and other outpatient yeah. providers. There was other outpatient providers, but uh, they would very quickly begin to relapse. And I watched it happen over and over again. And then as um, I began to become aware that other treatment centers were starting to open, I called them satellite programs yeah. in different places. And so I started thinking, gosh, you know, what if I could get one of those programs to come here? And so there was a group of us who were in a coalition called the Inland Northwest Coalition for Eating Disorders. And we had united together as community professionals to um, bring education to the community, to just unite professionals, to provide some community awareness. So the group of professionals that were in this coalition, we started, um, I would say, courting other yeah. uh, treatment centers. And the EMILY program came and had dinner with us. And there was about 10 of us professionals there. And they jumped on the opportunity and started looking for property here just a couple months later. So it was really exciting. Um, every one of us who were on the board of the coalition at some point had said, man, I'd really like to start a program here. But I knew I didn't have the time, right. the money, and uh, the, the resources to do that. So it was like, hey, let's see if, we, if one of the companies will come here. So and then, doing it together. And doing it together. And so the EMILY program... Oh opened in June of 2013 and they said, you know, do you want to come work for us? And I said, heck yeah, along with um, the, uh, a handful of us. So they called that we were called the Spokane Six uh, when we started. <laughs> right. And one of the great things that now that we're 10 years in, so at first, almost all of us who specialized in eating disorders came to the Emily program. So there weren't really many outpatient providers uh, left in the community. Well, now over time, we have such a network of therapists and dietitians in the community who actually have worked at the Emily program for a couple of years, gotten excellent experience. And now we have this network of people that we can refer to when people are ready to go back out to the community. So it's been really fruitful in that way to expand the community resources, not only just to have the, our services here in Spokane, but we have grown a fantastic outpatient network as well. It sounds incredible. Like when you're just talking about how you need a team of people to support, they're learning the Emily way. Yes. Going out to the community. So the Inland Northwest is a real hub then for being able to treat people with eating disorders. Is that a fair statement? Um, well, I, I would say that we we are an important part here in the Inland Northwest, for sure. There's a small um, IOP program down in the Tri-Cities, and other than that, we are it. It's cool. Well, and when you're talking about having to send people to different states, you know, just think about access to, to these kind of services. We talk a lot about that in the disability world is, you know, access. How do we do this? And, and you helped build this. Yeah. Access. What drove this? Like what, what made you want to be in this world? 
So I myself am in recovery. I had bulimia as a teenager and I knew as a teenager that I definitely wanted to be a therapist and then um, struggling through my own battle with bulimia and going into recovery when I went through my master's program to become a therapist, I knew I wanted to specialize in eating disorders from day one. You're like, I'm going to help. Yes, yes. I want to be a Mm -hmm. part of this. And then uh, I would have loved to have gotten a job somewhere like the Emily program when I was in graduate school or right after graduate school, but there wasn't anything like that here. So that's another neat thing is that we are we have opportunities for new graduates who are interested in this field they can come spend some time with us uh, and see is this work for me some people know they already know before they start and some come in and say hey I I think this is interesting I think I want to try this that's incredible so the university system has helped you're helping funnel and build these next level of professionals yes all right. And providing an opportunity that I didn't have um, at that point. I, I had to pound the pavement and run community support groups and try to connect with anybody I could in the community who worked in eating disorders. And so it's it's really neat to have um, a center here that people can apply and get jobs for. We have bachelor level positions now and master's level positions. So, you know, we're helping in the career progression as well. It's incredible. I'm, I'm thinking of... I'm thinking of my daughter. Um, just maybe we can go here for a minute. Okay. Um, so she's 17. And, you know, I, after talking to Nicole and becoming more aware, I start watching, right? And I'm overly critical. And sorry, Savannah, I'm talking about you. But, um, you know, I don't think she has a disorder, but I started paying attention. And a lot of our, you know, listeners, they all have kids. They all have family members. What are some of the things that, you know, we should actually look for instead of the stuff I'm making up in my brain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great question. <laughs> so some of the signs that parents start to see when they are getting concerned are um, secretive behaviors around food, um, not wanting to eat with a family, starting to sometimes it starts out in adolescence as Um, you know, I'm just gonna, I just want to get a little bit fit. I think I want to lose a few of these puberty pounds. Uh, and they, they start restricting a little bit and they start losing some weight. They get accolades from others around them, their coaches even, and it starts to kind of take on a life of their own, of its own. Um, preoccupation is one of the hallmarks of an eating disorder. So when someone, no matter what eating disorder they have, they're thinking about food, for a large portion of the day. Most of our clients say over 70% of the day. Some of them come in and say 100% of the day. They can't focus on anything else. So back to signs and symptoms, Mm -hmm. you're looking for um, some of that preoccupation, seeing some restriction, making excuses for not eating with the family or not eating with friends. You might see um, frequent trips to the bathroom after meals or some odd behaviors like your daughter starts taking a shower right after dinner frequently. Uh, when she didn't used to do that, she, she used to take a shower at bedtime, so she might be purging in the shower. Um, wearing baggy clothing to disguise weight loss. Um, finding them exercising in their room at nighttime. Those are some of the things that I can think of off the top of my head. I think that is so helpful, yeah, to a lot of people. You know, amateur like me, like, I don't know anything, but I want to learn. I want to help be able to support, you know, the people in my life. And I know our listeners do too. Thank thank you for those insights. And, and maybe we see some behaviors that are suspect or that we 
are concerned about. What's a what's a way or a strategy to just have that conversation? Because I'm sure it's got to be pretty uncomfortable, but we want to have it. Absolutely. That's the key point is having the conversation. So being okay with it being uncomfortable, just asking and saying, hey, I'm seeing a couple things that I'm worried about. Can we talk about it? Be prepared that you're going to get some resistance, um, some excuses. Um, and, you know, it, maybe maybe it isn't an eating disorder. Maybe it's just disordered eating at that point. Maybe it's the pressures from peers and social media to be engaging in some of these things. But to say, I'm noticing a few things and I'm worried about it and I want to talk about it is the best way that you can start. Yeah, it's like, I, I see you. Mm-hmm. You're maybe opening up that channel of communication. Yeah. Okay. I yeah, like that. Yeah, when you find that your child is skipping meals or th- you find extra food in the garbage maybe or you notice that food is missing or your child who used to sleep in is getting up every day early to work out before school and even on the weekends, just some signs like that, you can say, hey, I've just noticed a change and I'm wondering what that's about and letting them know that you have concerns, you're, you're seeing it, like you said, and then you're keeping an eye on it. I totally make, that makes sense to me. So, okay, well, let's take that one step further. All right, we're having conversations with people and maybe, you know, some of our listeners, it's not just our kids, right? It could be our spouses, ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that step to, you know, seek treatment? So the step to seek treatment can be really difficult to say, I think I need help or to say, I think you need help. One of the things that I love about having the Emily program here is that we have a full assessment team. They do intakes, they're trained professionals to identify eating disorders. And I tell people all the time, if you send your client to us or your patient to us and they do an assessment and they don't have an eating disorder, we're going to tell them they don't have an eating disorder. We're going to tell you, nope, it's not an eating disorder. This is what we think it is. Um, Or maybe they do an assessment with us and we think this is kind of the beginnings of things. We're catching it. And they just need an outpatient therapist in the community. We're going to refer to that. And so um, just knowing that help is available, I think... There are, uh, for parents especially and loved ones, and even for someone yourself, if, you're, if you are starting to um, wonder if your disordered eating is becoming more problematic, just doing some education. Uh, there's so many resources online, uh, including the EMILY program website that has tons of blog posts and informational things. Um, there's some support groups. There's informational kind of um, uh, not webinars, but groups that you can join, like an ED 101 that okay. you could join to learn about it and see, is this what my daughter has? Is this what I'm seeing? Um, so education. And then if someone really does think that their loved one has an eating disorder, getting referring for that assessment is really important. Thank you. What, what are some of the statistics in maybe our region or our country? Like, what does this look like? So in the state of Washington, the estimate is over 230,000 people have wow. eating disorders. Nationwide, we're looking at over 30 million. So, so 10%. So, so 20, or excuse me, two, 20 million women, one, 
10 million men, okay. so 20 and 10. Uh, and they also wonder if the statistics for men might even be higher because even though we've made a lot of progress in the last 20 years with eating disorders and we know that eating disorders are common in males, there's still some stigma in um, the population for a male to say that they have an eating disorder so they don't present as often for treatment as maybe women do. Um, Does that stigma live inside the uh, professional community at any time? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, There's, there's, there's so much stigma in our society around weight and food issues and body and uh, internalized weight stigma is a real issue for a lot of our clients, especially if they live in larger bodies. So that's, that's a whole nother part of this conversation we can have about weight stigma in the uh, medical community. But um, for, for men to present for treatment is a little bit more difficult. Uh, we know that about 15% of individuals it, that are transgender, about 15% have been diagnosed with eating disorders. Significant it's, number. It's very common in the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, we see it more and more, which, and the beautiful thing is we're seeing more and more of those individuals present for treatment. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really prevalent. Um, there's about 200 and let's see i better not say that statistic because i can't remember it so (laughs) approximately (laughs) approximately yes wow and i asked that question too because in our community in the disabled community i think one subsect is people you know and these kids living with autism and so you know the male population had been diagnosed for a long long time and Mm -hmm. the female population had not and so we were being underdiagnosed, and now that's starting to change because I, I think there was a stigma inside the medical community. Like, oh, no, this is a boy's problem. It's like, well, it's not a problem in the first place. just a thing. Someone right. who's living. Right. Um, but that's changing now, too. So that we're, we're watching that evolve right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And eating disorders are serious mental and physical disorders that are treatable. And there's still a lot of community perception, you know, societal perception that it's someone's fault. Like if you can't stop eating, like get your, get your act together, like just stop, you know, or you just stop throwing up. Uh, and it's so much bigger than that. We've learned so much about the etiology of eating disorders and the seriousness and the complexity. It is so multi-layered that it's not just as, it's not as easy as just stop. That brings or to, just eat. Uh huh. It brings up uh, one of my least favorite sayings, like "pull yourself up by your bootstraps." I just I hate that. Yes, me it's too. Like, really? Come on. Um, but yeah, that intersection between disorder and mental health sounds complex. What what success look like when when someone you know is in recovery? So, about sixty percent of people who receive treatment uh, do reach recovery. Um, and there's a percentage that reaches partial recovery. So maybe they are still, maybe they haven't quite reached the weight goal that they needed to reach, or maybe they still engage in some of their eating disorder behaviors, um, but much less frequently than they did before. But uh, full recovery is possible, and about 60% of individuals can reach full recovery. Uh, unfortunately, about 10% of people don't recover, and about 5% of people die. Yeah. Yeah, it's serious. Uh, One person dies every 52 minutes from complications from their eating disorder. 
major issue. Major issue. Well, yeah. I'm happy you're here talking about it because I just I know I had awareness, but definitely didn't really understand the the complexity and how how big of a community issue this is. And then we can help. Sixty percent recovery rate. That's great. It is great. <laughs> and being a part of a treatment center and just you know eating disorder treatment in general. But since I've been at the Emily program for the last ten years, um, it's so neat to watch people come in and realize they're not alone. And being in a group setting, that is something that's really helpful. You're in uh, a group of individuals and everybody's eating disorder is a little bit different. There may be mixed diagnoses in that group, but everybody there understands the struggle that you might have with food, eating, weight, your body, uh, at whatever whatever uh, nuances there is, we're there for the, the common cause and there's an understanding and people realize they're not alone. That kind of support has to be so powerful. It's really powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of the best things, I think, about the group uh, treatment process. So, okay, T talk to some of our young people who are listening to this. Maybe they're in, in school right now. They're thinking about their you know degree path. Like, why come join this movement? In talking to young people just in general, I really think it's so important for people to understand the societal pressures that there are for um, that contribute to eating disorders. And I think young people nowadays, especially with you know the access in social media, we are bombarded with these messages over and over and over again. And even though I think constantly, that, yeah, right? Constantly, and the images are curated. Oh. And even if we know the images are curated. They're, they still affect us. It'll trick our brain. Yes, it tricks your brain. Damn. It still affects us. It's still the pressures and the messages. And so I think that, um, you know, and, and, and if, if you have an interest in health, overall health, and especially in the field of eating disorders, uh, I've been doing this my whole career. I, I wanted to do it since day one. It's my, it's my life's passion. And there's a lot of reward that comes with that, not only in helping people heal their relationships with food, find food freedom, um, and really engage back in their life again. But you just see people find themselves. You see yeah. people, yeah. And it's so it's so neat to, you know, I had a, one of my favorite quotes from one of my clients I'd been seeing for quite a while. Um, who really got to a great place in recovery, she said, I deserve every bit of happiness that I can squeeze into my life. And, you know, that that's that's just in general. That's not even eating disorder specific. But for her to get to the place of recognizing that she had that worth, she had that value, and that she deserved that in her life, um, I, I wrote that down. I have it at work. Uh, it, that is very impactful. Heck yeah. Trans transformational. Yes, absolutely. Huh. So, um, that's why I do the work I do too. It's like, I love to see when people have, you know, more opportunities for success, more choices in their life that it drives me to just wake up in the morning and, and figure out how to expand that. Yes. Yeah. 
And that's one of the things I like about being site director at this point. So, you know, I was outpatient therapist for 15 years, came to the Emily program, worked intensive programming for almost five years, and I've been site director almost four years. Now I'm at the point where I'm hiring in new professionals. I'm hiring people who who f think they have that passion or maybe they, maybe they want to find that passion. I love that piece of bringing them in and showing them what the world of eating disorder treatment is like. It's incredible. Where did you go to school for, uh, for this? So uh, I just went to school. Uh, I didn't go to school for this, but I went <laughs> to school uh, out at Eastern uh, and just got my go degree. Go Eags. Yes, go yeah. Eags. Just got my uh, master's degree in clinical psychology. And then uh, I just had to do a lot of legwork myself to, you know, create that specialization, yeah. to find that specialization. I think it's a little bit easier now. And especially, uh, like I said, we... Um, being here and being able to hire new graduates or we just introduced the bachelor level positions at, at the emily program for both dietetics and for uh, counseling and so individuals can come in and have a bachelor level job and see hey what can i do if um what they're, they can see what they're able to do if they go on to school to get their masters let's talk a little bit about that we had frontier behavioral health here a mm -hmm. few weeks ago and they were talking about the same thing, that they were reorging a little bit to allow a bachelor level education to kind of really come in and help in this mental health crisis. Yes. And so that, that sounds like that's happening in the medical world. I think it is. Okay. So that's got to be opening up a ton more doors. Absolutely. And access. Yes. And <laughs> for, like I said, for nutrition <laughs> and dietetics as well as for therapy. So you have individuals who you know, prior really couldn't do very much with a bachelor's in psychology. Uh, and now th they can get some behavioral health tech jobs and really, you know, ha have these entry-level positions, see what the mental health world is like. And even in a specialized area like eating disorders, um, our, our bachelor-level folks do a lot. Yeah. And then it's in conjunction, you know, they're teamed up with the master's level clinicians of both types on the teams for each program. And it works really well. It's exciting. And, and you hear them say, like, I want to go on to get my master's. Yeah, we're going to get better clinicians and better help, right? Because the folks who just put their nose down, got through all the school, maybe they really don't like the field. Mm -hmm. And that's not good for anyone. No, that is <laughs> so, not good for yeah, anyone. You get that taste, understand the passion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, so I, that makes me excited just for our society. <laughs> We're getting creative. Was yeah. that a, a function of COVID and maybe not having enough people in the in this work? I, or was I, it just a bigger vision? I think it was both. I mean, hmm. um, I know that at the Emily program, we were focused on trying to develop career progression because that's something that we heard through our employees is that they wanted more of that. And so uh, this is this was uh, one of the ways to do that. And then it also, you know, we just expanded the team. Like I said, our, you know, each team has bachelor level and master's level together in conjunction with medical and psychiatry. I mean, we have a lot of members on the team. And so it's giving these bachelor level folks really great experience. Um, and, you know, th th there's, there's, a, there's a big gap between there and, you know, having your master's yeah. degree and the things that you can do. But again, I feel like I would have given my eye teeth to have been able to do that coming straight out of my bachelor's program. Awesome. How long have you been in Spokane? I've been in Spokane for 30 years. All right. Mm -hmm. So this is home. 
Yes, this yeah. is home. My husband was born here, says he's going to die here, <laughs> uh, and I actually love it here. So I am definitely part of the Spokane Doesn't Suck community. Nice. Um, and, and it has been uh, neat to watch the progression of my field over the time that I've been here. You know, like I said, when I was in private practice and, and I had to send someone to residential, I had parents that had to remortgage their houses right. to send their kids to treatment. Uh, we've had huge advances in insurance coverage over the years. So now most insurances do cover higher levels of care. And then we, and then seeing what happens when somebody does ha say they have to start out at residential, they're really sick. They need that level. They come, they can come back to us at PHP, then step down right. to IOP, then step down to outpatient. And I, and I witnessed that before the Emily program was even here, the clients that came straight back most of them started to relapse so quickly. Right. And then when PHP programs started um, uh, up, because it wasn't really a thing back then, I had one you of my, one of my, one of my, <laughs> yeah. one of my clients um, stayed, she went to residential in California and stayed there and did PHP and IOP and then came back to me. And it was after, that was her fourth round of residential and she remained in recovery. And it was, it was just, mm. yes, it was yeah. like, hmm, what is happening here? I think we need, uh, some more intensive services here in Spokane. What's your husband's name? Mike. Hey, Mike. Thank you for <laughs> saying you'll never leave. Cause yeah. Like, thank you for helping build this and helping fill this need, you know, in our community. It's it just is so nice to meet you. It's so um, nice to meet you. Anything that, uh, that you'd like our listeners to know before we wrap our show today? Um, just that, you know, food freedom is possible. It is possible to really learn to love and accept yourself, um, to find body neutrality, to not be afraid of food, to live in a larger body and still be healthy and still be happy. Um, you know, we, there, there's just, there's a lot of really miserable folks who are, just tortured by their eating disorders and hate themselves every day and they hate their behaviors and they hate the way that they look. And there really is something on the other side of that. Um, that freedom is there. It is possible. And the more that we can talk about it and normalize the conversation, the more that we can grow that community of people who have said, screw diet culture, yeah. you know, I'm going to live my life. The more that we can all do that together, uh, the, the better it's going to be. Well said. Listeners, if this resonates with you in any way, just please go look up the Emily program here in Spokane. And Dee, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. 